to it a little bit this morning so that we kind of understand some things. And that is the amazing forgiveness of God. The amazing, incomprehensible, mind-boggling, true, unimaginable forgiveness of God. If you think about what the Lord did for us when he forgave us of our sins, and you really meditate on it, it really is mind-boggling. Think about you forgiving someone else who has done something wrong to you, and really how difficult it is. We like to say it's not that difficult, I just forgive, but really our flesh is not, it's a fallen nature, and it's really uh, not set up to forgive. Our flesh is set up to be selfish. It's set up to be self-centered. It's set up to be self-preserving, to take care of ourselves. Not that we may not even necessarily uh, not want to forgive all the time, but we just, we, we make sure we take care of ourselves and we take care of our own heart and, and we build walls and all of those type of things. And it prevents us sometimes from truly forgiving. You know, think about that. That's one roadblock. And the second roadblock to us forgiving is your enemy does not make it easy for you to forgive. I mean, think now, and I don't want to, you know, be in the place of the enemy, but think now about some things or something someone has done to you. And it just begins to, you know, get under your skin, even if you're sitting there thinking about it. And it makes it difficult to forgive. And your enemy will bring it up and bring it back up. And bring it back up. And after you feel like you've released it, he will bring it back up. And it's very difficult for us to forgive. And so if you put that in context and juxtapose that with the cross and think about what God did for us and how he forgave us of every sin we've ever committed in life. Think about some of the sins you've committed. You don't have to say it out. But just think about some of the ways you've fallen short in life. Wiped away. He's forgiven you of that. Now, what will really bake your noodle. It, yeah, I heard that on the Matrix. That's from the, from the Oracle on the Matrix. Great prophet. And uh, what will really bake your noodle is every sin you will ever commit, you're already forgiven of. Now, that's amazing, isn't it? Doesn't sound right, does it? I mean, especially to some of us who have been in church a long time and want to be holy and sanctified. It doesn't sound right. Like, you know, I, I can commit a sin next week and God has already forgiven me of it. Well, the caveat to that is, and Paul is very clear in the book of Romans and the book of Corinthians, shall we sin to prove his grace? God forbid. Because though you are forgiven, he will crush you and uh, get you back in line. So if you want to go through that, uh, you can willingly commit sin. God will straighten you out. But the truth of the matter is we are forgiven of every sin we've ever committed. This amazing forgiveness of God. Forgiveness, it's a word that carries with it mind-boggling questions. Forgiving me of all of my mistakes, my wrongs, my sins. And it brings up words like justification and sanctification and all of these words that 
some of us don't even know what all of them mean, but uh, atonement and all of that. God has done all of that for us. His forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Yes, it's completely mind-boggling. It's amazing what he has done for us. No matter how awful your sins may have been, God forgives and forgets. God is better than you ever hoped or imagined. God has done more for us than we could ever think of doing for ourselves. And I just want to, I want to talk about a twofold or a, a forgive. I want to look at forgiveness in two ways this morning. One is the obvious uh, forgiveness uh, that he has bestowed upon us when uh, on the cross he made a way for us to now be part of the kingdom of God. He made a way for us to be born again. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. He breathed in us the breath of life, and now we are no longer sinners on our way to the holding place called hell and then to the lake of fire with hell in the grave. But now we are on our way to a place that we, where we will be with the Lord forever, eternity. God has made that way for us. But I also want to touch on something that I believe Christians have a hard time with sometimes. To realize that we are forgiven and not to wallow in guilt and condemnation. Because though we are forgiven and we get into heaven, sometimes as Christians we wallow in guilt and condemnation and it prevents us from reaching our destiny. We begin to, just like we've said this morning, look at not only the circumstances, but we look at ourselves and how we've fallen short and how I've done that thing again and I thought that thing again and I'll just never be what God wants me to be. I'll never fulfill my destiny. Uh, you know, the enemy is right. I mean, I just, look, he's, he's, I realized he forgave me and then all of a sudden I did it again and it's just never going to work. And we begin to wallow in that thing like a pig. And we just go round and round and we never look past our circumstances to see the atonement that the Lord has provided for us and begin to walk in that. Paul said to put off corruption, put on the new man, and we need to walk in the newness of life. Paul also said to the Romans that there is therefore now no no condemnation to those who in Christ Jesus walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. If your heart is after the spirit of God, then there is no condemnation on you. The only condemnation that is brought upon you is that that you bring upon yourself. Now God will convict us in order to tell someone we're sorry for doing a certain thing. He will convict us to make something right, but he will never condemn us. Jesus said, I came not that you would be condemned. I didn't come to condemn you, but I came to save you. I came to save you. He's gracious. Now, I want to give you these seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. I think to really, as Christians, understand that we need to walk in forgiveness. Just as we walk 
I've been emphasizing we walk by faith. That means we live every day. We breathe all of our breaths by faith. Everything we do is by faith. We wake up. We have to have faith. When we go to work, there's faith. When we eat our breakfast, faith. At lunch, when we're talking to our friends, faith. At school, we have to have faith. When we come home from work at the dinner table, there's faith. When we're watching TV, we have faith. When we go to sleep, faith. We walk by faith. Everything we do is faith. And you cannot please God if you don't walk in faith. But I also, God showed me that we also need to understand, and I want you to understand that we need to walk in the forgiveness that God has bestowed upon us and not the condemnation that the enemy would put upon you. And to understand this, we need to understand truly what Christ did on the cross for us. Now, usually when we hear a cross message, we think of Easter, don't we? But I believe the message of the cross should be preached more than just Easter. Come on, because I believe that Jesus wasn't thinking about Easter Sunday when he was on the cross. He died once for all time so that we might live in the forgiveness that he's given us. And so we should always remember the cross. Jesus said, when you take communion, do this in remembrance of me. The cross should always be in the back of our mind and the forgiveness of the cross. So I want to give you the seven last sayings of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was crucified approximately about 9 a.m. And he remained on the cross till about 3 p.m. And about from 12 to 3, there was a darkness over the whole land. Jesus spoke seven times during those six troubled hours. In fact, Jesus, it's, it's worthy to note that those folks really didn't kill Jesus, although that's what it seems like happened, doesn't it? I mean, they beat him and they uh, tore his flesh. And I don't want to be too graphic, but they tore his flesh and they uh, mangled him and dismembered him and all of those types of things. Uh, but at the end of the day, they never killed Jesus. Jesus gave his life. Because there at the end, around 3 p.m., he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He gave it up for you and I. So during that time, he said some things while he was on the cross. Number one, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What a statement to be made by someone who has been beat, by someone who has had their flesh ripped from their body by someone whose blood is trickling down almost every part of their body to look at the Lord, his Father, and say, Father, forgive them. Who? Forgive those folks who, were, who just did all of this to me. Forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what it is they're doing. What a statement to make. Could you or I make a statement like that? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Number two, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. There was a man on the, another cross right next to him, and he'd seen what had taken place, and he was on his way to hell. He was not on his way to be with Jesus. He was, in fact, 
He was hours away from a destiny that separated him from the Lord forever. But he looked over at Jesus and he realized something. He realized that this is God. This man next to me is the Messiah, the prophesied Messiah, and has the power to save me. And he looked over at him and he said, please let me be with you. Jesus looked at him and said, today, I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. In a moment, changed his destiny. In the twinkling of an eye, turned his life around from going to hell and the lake of fire to always be separated from God to now being in paradise with the Lord for eternity. Changed it just like that with a few words from Jesus. How many of us could use a few words from Jesus? Just a few words. And then number three, he looked down to take care of his mother and he said, woman, behold thy son. I'm turning you over to John. Jesus never leaves us comfortless. He always takes care of us. Number four, is, this, is a, this statement right here is a baffling statement. But he said, why hast thou forsaken me? And boy, we don't have time to get into it this morning, but what a heavy statement. To think that he had the sin of the whole world on his shoulders. From Adam to the moment that someone was born while he was on the cross somewhere in the world to the time when he returns and we are all raptured, all of that sin was on his shoulder. Sin that hasn't even been committed yet was on his shoulders. Sin of seven billion people on his shoulders. And so the father had no choice. His presence could not be with him. All of that sin could not be in his presence. And so the father withdrew. And he forsook his son so that you would not be forsaken. All of that sin on his shoulder. Why hast thou forsaken me? And then he looked down and said, I thirst. And then he said, it is finished. I have done the work. And this is the statement that I really want us to leave here today understanding. I want this statement to be in our spirit as we leave this place today. It is finished. There is no more cross. Your atonement has been taken care of. You are justified if you are in Christ. Just as if you never did it. Your sins are blotted away. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because it is finished. He's already done it. I don't know what somebody might be looking for today. I don't know what you're looking for Jesus to do for you. But I believe this is a word for somebody. He's saying, it is finished. I've already done it. Your job now is to walk in my forgiveness. Receive it and walk in it because there is nothing you can do to earn it. It is finished. 
And then he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he gave up the ghost. Now these words from the cross, Christ is still speaking today. Father, forgive them. Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Those words were true then on the cross, and those words are true today. He has forgiven you. Father, forgive them. It's done. We all put, up, put Christ on the cross because of our sin. And that's what's so heavy to me, is when I realize why Christ was on the cross. And I look in the mirror, and I think of all the ways that I've fallen short, and I realized I put him there. And then I realized he forgave me and he loves me anyway. In spite of all of that, he loves me and he has atoned me and he has justified me and he has sanctified me and he has made me holy and he has set me apart and he has set me in a heavenly place with Christ Jesus. And my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory. There will be no need unmet. Not only is he able to do it, but he wants to do it, and he has done it for us. This is what we need to receive this morning. Now, for us to receive that, we need to understand the seven steps of experiencing God's forgiveness. Seven steps of experiencing God's forgiveness. I'm going to talk about these, but here they are. Number one is illumination. Number two is conviction. Number three, repentance. And then number four is faith. And then conversion. Justification. And then realizing that we are a new creation. We are a new creation. Now, these seven steps do not have to take months to happen. They don't have to take years to happen. In fact, they can happen in just a few seconds for us. All seven steps can happen in just a, a few seconds. Number one, illumination. What does that mean? It means inner darkness, spiritual blindness can be overcome by the Holy Spirit's illumination. A person must first know and realize that he or she is lost. Not only will this help us as Christians to walk in forgiveness, but when you begin to um, you know, be at, at work or at school or out to dinner and you begin to talk to someone about Christ, this will help you to minister to them. Not all of us are pulpit evangelists or street corner evangelists, but we are all called to be relational evangelists. Relational evangelists. And so we need to realize that the first thing that needs to happen is a revelation. This is what Jesus was talking to Peter about when he asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're this person, some say you're that person. And he said, well, who do you say I am? Peter jumped in there and said, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, listen, this is illumination. This was illuminated to you. This was not taught in the synagogue you did not read this in a book and understand it. My Father who is in heaven illuminated this to you. 
It's the only way that we can be saved. And it's the only way that us as Christians can walk in the forgiveness that God has given us. The illumination. The revelation of God. That's what we should seek. Now, I'm a person who loves to really uh, study and debate and find out what the Greek word means and what the Hebrew word meant and, you know, get out the concordance and do all of those type of things because, uh, you know, I, I love to, to teach and those type of things. But really, uh, that's, that's very good. I mean, it, it really, uh, you know, I really think that inspiration uh, is a help to us, but really we need information to grow in the Lord and to be discipled. But truly, if we're going to grow in the Lord, we need revelation. We need revelation. And that's what we need to be asking God for, revelation. Think about that the next time you pray. Lord, I just, I, I, I need healing. Uh, I, I'm praying for someone in my family to be saved. Um, I need money uh, to pay this bill, whatever it is. I'm really in a tight spot, uh, this relationship. Whatever it is, uh, my business, whatever it is that you're praying to God for, First, pray for revelation, to see it the way God sees it, to see things through his eyes. Illumination. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says, Whose minds the God of this age has blinded, Satan has blinded the minds of the world, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Listen, it is a privilege that God granted us repentance. You didn't wake up one day and said, you know what? I'm tired of this. I think I'm just going to go ahead and repent. I'm going to repent, and then I'm going to uh, do the right thing. Guess what? You would have never done it had God not wooed you first. Had he not reached into your heart. And I like the, 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 the prayers of some of the seasoned saints when they say, prick, he pricked my mind and he pricked my heart. You know, some say that he put a hook in my mouth like a fish and brought me out of the miry clay. If he would have never done that, we would never have asked forgiveness of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He made the light shine out of the darkness. Illumination. Number two, conviction. We have to be convicted. What does conviction mean? Well, it is the action of the Spirit that brings about a profound, really a profound guilt, profound inner sense, a deep conviction of one's sinfulness and evil. Now, once it is illuminated to you that you need a Savior, now you are convicted. And what convict, true conviction, what it means is you are convicted to action. Something then has to take place once you are convicted. You have to go say, I'm sorry, if you're really convicted. Don't just say, I'm convicted and don't do anything. You're really not convicted. You probably just feel a little guilty. Just feel a little guilty because you got caught. But if you're really convicted, whether you're caught or not, you go. And you say, I'm sorry, I repent, I turn. Acts 2.37 says, now when they heard this, here's what conviction is. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
They were cut. To, it hurt, almost physically hurt them to hear Peter preached a great salvation message in Acts chapter 2. You ought to read it sometime. He talked about how uh, you killed Jesus. You put a sinless man on the cross. You did terrible things. And not only that, not only did you put a sinless man on the cross, but this is God, the very one that created you, the very one that breathed the breath of life in you, the very one that gave you life. You put him on the cross. You killed him. The Bible says they were cut to the heart. Because God illuminated that to them during Peter's message. They were convicted. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter, and this is the question that really comes out of conviction. What shall we do? What shall we do? What can we do? What do we do now? I need to do something. I'm convicted. I'm cut to the heart. Something has to happen. What do I do? See, conviction is more than a feeling of misery and remorse, sorrow, or pain. It is a sorrow and grief that turns a person towards God. Turns a person toward God. That's what conviction does. And it leads to the next one, which is repentance. Repentance is a turning from sin. We've heard it said that you turn. Do a 180 degree turn. You were going one way and now you go another way. Dietrich and I were talking to someone, a minister, and it, uh, uh, he put it another way. He said that repentance also is like you, you take yourself out of the situation and now you're able to see it like God sees it. Because when you're in sin, you don't see it like the Lord sees it. You really don't. It's fun. It's a good time. You may be a little convicted, you may be a little condemned, you may feel a little guilty, but it really doesn't make you turn away from it. You, you just hope no one sees you. Come on. But repentance, you take yourself out of the situation and you see it for what it really is. You see lying for what it really is. You see cheating, you see pornography, you see all these things for what they really are. That's repentance. Acts 2.38, Peter answered them. Because they said, what, what shall we do? What are we going to do? I'm cut to the heart. Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He will seal you with his spirit once you repent, once you turn. What does that mean? If I was lying, I'm not lying anymore. I'm going to stop doing it. If I was cheating people, I'm going to stop cheating people. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm turning. Conviction leads us to action, which is repentance. Repentance is the action based on the conviction. Number four is faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. A believing in the word and a reaching for God. Really, what faith is, is just hearing God's word and responding to it correctly. Doing what he says when he says to do it. That's faith. Really all it is. I believe God. I do all. I have faith. I say it. You know, God, God's going to bless me. I say it seven times. And No, faith is just hearing from God and doing what he says. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the rhema of God. Look that word up. The rhema. A spoken word of God. 
Not just reading the Bible, but God speaking to you and doing what he tells you to do. Acts 20, 21 says, testifying to the Jews and also the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith does not stop at believing, but also reaches for God. We cannot understand or reach for God or walk in forgiveness with some sort of believism or mental assent by just saying it. You know, Romans 10, 9 says what? That if thou would believe in your heart, not just believe with words, but you must believe in your heart. And because you believe in your heart, now confess it with your mouth, not in your mind. Not just up here. It's got to come out of here. That's what the Bible says. I'm not making it up. Confess with your mouth. Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved and you shall be forgiven. You shall be saved. And then conversion. It's the next thing that happens. It's a total alteration. It includes all of the above, resulting in a changed life. Actions that give repentance or reality. I am converted. I am changed. All this is is that Corinthian scripture. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is now another, there's another person that was born. The Bible says in John chapter 3 that Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. And truly translated, that means born from above. Yes, you were born here. You were born in the flesh. But that's not good enough to get into heaven. That's not good enough to walk in forgiveness. That's not good enough to be with the Lord. You must be born from above by the Spirit, the same Spirit that planted the seed in Mary and birthed Jesus is the same Spirit that you must be born from in order to be saved and be converted. Repent, therefore, Acts 3.19, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing may come. And then justified. Saints, you are justified. If you're in Christ, if you have confessed with your mouth and you believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has saved you and you have been born from above, then guess what? Whether you believe it or not, whether the devil tells you or not, you are justified. Whether you feel it with a feeling or not, you are justified. This has to do with one standing before God. We have been acquitted. We have been pronounced righteous and declared to be righteous by God. You are justified. No matter what someone else tells you, no matter what they bring up from your past, you are justified. Who are you going to listen to? Your enemy, your friends, or God? Who justified you? He's the only judge anyway. What can someone else do judging you? They pronounce you guilty. What can they do? Nothing. Fear the one that has the power over your soul. That's what Jesus said. You are justified. Just as if you never did it. If I, were, if I were in the 
ring. I haven't watched boxing lately, in, in years actually, but I used to watch boxing a lot. I grew up, my father loved boxing, and I, I used to watch it a lot. And, uh, I, I watched boxing around the era of uh, Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield. If you guys, anybody's watched boxing and remember some of those guys and how fierce Mike Tyson was. I mean, that guy, he just, as soon as he stepped into the ring, it seemed like the other guy just fall down, you know, in his youth. You know, I mean, he was, you know, and Al, I know you remember some of the Sonny Liston and, you know, those guys too, but I, I just remember watching Mike Tyson and, uh, boy, I was thinking about this. If, God forbid, I ever got into the ring with Mike Tyson, or anybody for that matter, but I got into the ring with Mike Tyson, we're boxing, right? And there's usually three judges, right, around, around ringside that judge. So, yeah, if I did like that, it wouldn't work anyway. It's already, you're already, you know. And so if I'm in the ring with, with, with Mike, call him Mike, so I'm trying to get him, you know, personable, Mike. And so if I'm in the ring with him and we're boxing and the bell rings, first thing I would do is start running around the ring. But, you know, if he, if he only caught me a couple times and he beat me up, you know, and I never was able to punch him and I was able to somehow live for three minutes, I somehow, you know, came out alive after that three minutes was over that first round, but he punched me a lot and beat me up and all of that. And every, every judge said, yeah, he, Mike Tyson won this round 10 to 0. The next judge said 10 to 0. And the next judge said 10 to 0. And then a voice came from heaven and said, Michael Carter won the fight. Guess what? I won the fight. I don't care what the judges say. I don't care what has happened. I don't care what people witnessed. I don't care what Mike Tyson thinks. I won the fight because God said I won it. This is the mentality. Now, I know you're sitting there like, yeah, that, I don't, that, that's not true. That doesn't sound right. But guess what? This is the mentality you're going to have to have because your God is your judge, and the Word of God will stand forever. See, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God will stand, and His Word is true despite what facts your lying eyes might see. God's word is true. And this is what we have to understand, saints. You are justified. Stop putting your hand to the plow and looking backward at what happened even yesterday. Forget it. I'm not going back anymore. Forgetting those things that are behind. Looking forward to my destiny because I'm justified. Romans 4 and 5 says, But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. And by the way, that was you and I, the ungodly. Justification. And then from that, we are a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. And guess what? Your new creation has never lied. That spirit man inside of you has never lied. It has never stolen. It has never cheated. It has never done any of those things. That new creature convenes with the Spirit of God. But until the time comes when Jesus returns or we die before that happens, we are still in this flesh. That's why you read, we need to read Romans 5, 6, and 7, and you'll see what Paul is talking about when he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? I just can't wait to shed this body so that the real me will step forth. But guess what? Even while we're in this body, we can walk in the kingdom way. Right here, right now. Who's going to take control? You're going to let your flesh take control? 
Come on, somebody should say like me today, I'm tired of that. I'm, not, I'm tired of my flesh being in control. The real me is about to come forward. Will the real Michael Carter please stand up? Will the real Nia, will the real Becky, come on, the real Sandy, please come forward? And it's about to show forth, shedding this corruption. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart. And put a new spirit within you. He doesn't reform what we have. That's why when you get saved, you look in the mirror and say, well, I look the same. Doesn't look any different. (laughs) Well, guess what? That's because he didn't take what was already there and reform it. Because this will never see God. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. It's going back to the earth. Thank the Lord. But the new creature that God created will see God. He said, I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a new heart of flesh. You are forgiven. You are cleansed. What does it truly mean to be forgiven? Forgiven is when God generously gives pardon, releases you from guilt. I am no longer guilty. Come on. He releases you from the shame, the pain of sin, and harmful habits. You're released from it. You're released from those harmful habits today. You're released from it. You don't have to do it anymore. Don't be a slave to harmful habits. Come on. He released you. My brokenness is healed. My sin is, guess what? Canceled. Canceled by his extravagant grace. It's canceled. God's forgiveness, only God can cover, remove, pardon, and forgive sin on the basis of Christ's shed blood. Listen to a couple of scriptures. I won't have them up on the board, so you'll just have to take my word for it. Psalm 103.3 says this, Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases. Come on, all, 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 all your iniquities, all your diseases. He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Thank the Lord. If he dealt with me according to my sins, he wouldn't deal with me. Come on nor punished us according to our iniquities. He's not done that. Listen to this. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those that fear him. Here's where the song, Casting Crowns, comes from. As far as the east is from the west. The two never meet. Come on. So far as he has removed our transgression. Remove them from us. Remove them. Did you get that? He removed our transgressions. How great is his mercy toward us. Psalms 130, 3 and 4 says, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? If he, if, he, if he kept notes on every time you sinned, who could stand before the Lord? Who then could be saved? Not me. But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. David said, look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Isaiah 44, 22 says, God says this to you today. I have blotted out, blotted out all of your sin. Your sin is there no more. I have blotted it out. Like a thick cloud, your transgressions. And like a cloud, your sins. Now, guess what? Since I've done that, return to me. Return to me, 
return to me, for I have redeemed you. And I say this, that's not just for sinners, or that's not just for backslidden Christians. I say that's for all of us when he says return to me. In other words, return your, your gaze to me. Stop looking at your circumstances. Return your gaze to me. What is the song? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. God is saying to us today, return to me. I know there's a lot of things going on around you. It's for me. I need to hear this myself. I, tell, I get so frustrated sometimes when things don't go smoothly and right and all of those type of things. And God is saying, return to me, for I have redeemed you. I have redeemed you. And in Ephesians 1, 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. It's a true story. Back in 1830, I'm almost done, George Wilson was convicted of robbing the United States mail. True story. And was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, but he refused to accept it. The matter went to Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. Will you this morning refuse the pardon that God has given you? Will you continue to walk in condemnation? Because if you do, there are some consequences. There's some consequences for not accepting the forgiveness of God. I'm talking about Christians now. We know the consequence for not accepting his forgiveness if you're a, a sinner. This is one consequence. You're going to be separated from the Lord forever. But what about us who have accepted the Lord? There are some consequences for not walking in his forgiveness. Forgiven of a false humility, walking in condemnation. Number one, self-punishment and condemnation. We punish ourselves on an ongoing basis, replaying our sins over and over, and it hinders us from moving forward. Number two, an uncertainty. You ever been in a place in your life where I just don't know, I want, I, I want to please God, but I don't know if I should do that or not, and then I, I should do it, no, maybe I shouldn't do it, I should just think, I'll go get some counsel, maybe that person, well, they'll tell me, I better get a second opinion, I just don't know, I better pray some more, I better, and you do nothing, years go by, you've done nothing, uncertainty, uncertainty about God's will, about his love, God's forgiveness, and God's acceptance. Now, I'm not telling you to just do things willy-nilly in your life, but I'm telling you that God loves you, and if your heart is right toward him, and you go to jump off the cliff because you believe that that's what he said do, even if he didn't say it, he'll make a way for you to be all right. I don't know if you heard what I said just now. God loves you. And if your heart is right toward him, now I'm not talking about if you're presuming, if your heart is in presumption or arrogance. Remember, we talked about arrogance. You cannot walk in arrogance. You have to walk in humility. But just understand that God has got your back. God has you covered. He loves you. Pray. Hear from God. And then do what you believe he is saying do. If you're doing the wrong thing, he will tell you. He has a way of showing you. No, that's not what I said do. If you love him and your heart is toward him, feelings of no self-worth and unworthiness. We shouldn't feel like that, saint. And someone who feels like that, I feel sorry for them. 
should not feel that way. And then works and performance-based life, that's what we'll have. We'll think everything we do is by works. We need to accept the forgiveness of God. Psalms 51.1, David said, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions, and he will do it. He will blot out your transgressions. God has canceled your debt and your sin, and we need to walk in that. God loves you with an unlimited love. Romans 8 says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Unless God does it, it's not going to happen. You won't be separated. Stand on the promises of God's forgiveness. My last question for you today is, have you definitely accepted God's forgiveness? Have you accepted it? I didn't ask you, have you been saved? Come on. Now, I know some of us may need to be saved, but now I'm talking to the Christians this morning. I'm asking you, have you accepted God's forgiveness? Here's some ways to be able to tell. Do you find yourself saying, I hope so? I think. I'm pretty sure I did. I think he has, but I still kind of feel bad letting your feelings control you instead of God's word? Or, I know God can. I'm slow. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. Guess what? Jesus said it is finished. So where are you getting to? Where are you going? (laughs) He said it's finished. I don't know where you're getting to. Or, I believe. I think so. I'm pretty sure that I did. You find yourself saying those type of things? If you have, then I don't know if you're walking in God's forgiveness. A lady once showed an artist an expensive handkerchief on which a blot of ink had been dropped. It's ruined, she complained, and threw it away. The artist said nothing, but quietly removed the handkerchief from the trash can. A little while later, the lady received her handkerchief back, but it was so changed that she could hardly believe it was the original. Using the ink blot as the basis, the artist had worked around it a beautiful and artistic design, changing what was ruined into a thing of beauty and joy. The Lord your God will give you beauty for ashes and joy for your sorrow. Somebody give the Lord some praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. I just want to pray for you this morning. Every head bow, every eye closed this morning. And I want you to think just for a moment this morning. Have you been in a place where you haven't really accepted God's forgiveness? Have you been in a place where uh, you felt bad? You, you, you feel less than someone else? You look at other Christians and say, I wish I could be like them. You could be in a place where you really haven't accepted his forgiveness this morning. Have you been going through a time where you just don't feel like you can get ahead spiritually. I don't read my Bible like I should. I don't pray like I should. I'm not the Christian I should be. I missed my destiny. Find yourself asking those questions. I believe God is here this morning to release you from all of that debt, all of that condemnation. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty.